We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. So talk about some of the racism that you experienced when you were out there traveling the world. It's very interesting for me because, you know, coming from Texas, like I probably experienced more things that than what people even thought that I did. But as far as on the tour, I remember playing for my country mm-hmm. and I'm playing in Atlanta and uh, at a Fed Cup match. And I think it was Jennifer Capiati's like whole debut and everything. And I remember my coach came up to me, Marty Reason, and he said, you know, um, Zena, you're not going to be able to practice today. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, you, you know, you're not allowed to practice at this, this country club we were going to. And I was what? like, what? Like, yeah, that's what I was doing. And I was like, you got to be kidding. I'm playing for my country, but I can't go. And also, that was the first place I remember I was in Buckhead. And that was the first place that I literally, now remind you not, I lived in Texas. I remember standing on the corner trying to cross the street and somebody called me the N-word. And so all of this happened in the same time. And I'm just like, I'm playing for my country. I'm one of the top players in the world. I can't go to this country club to practice. And so I remember they finally gave me permission to kind of come through the back door to go practice. And I remember walking through the dining hall and all of the people in the back came out to say hi. (laughs) It was like, you know, the cooks and the the housekeepers and everything. So it's kind of a funny story, but... That just like gave me more, come on, Zena, keep going, doing the right thing. So they felt very proud that I was actually at the courts. When I was growing up, after Arthur Ashe, Zena Garrison was the best black tennis player we'd ever seen. And it was such a thrill watching her beat Chris Everett, beat Steffi Graf, get into the finals of Wimbledon and crush it. She was a girl from Houston who came out of nowhere to become the best junior in the world and then one of the best pros in the world. And yet all the time, we never knew she had bulimia and was struggling with body issues and keeping food down. Crazy life story. I was so excited to talk to her. It's Zena Garrison on Toray Show. I mean, incredible life in tennis that continues. I mean, your playing career was legendary. 
now you're commentating and you have this whole academy where you're teaching the game, the next generation. What do you love about tennis that has like kept you in it for your whole life? I think the biggest thing is the, I'm pretty much an introvert. So the whole camaraderie um, was, is a, has been, you know, really good for me being able to, you know, quote unquote, besides the pandemic, but get me out, be around people. But I also love the, um, you know, the service part of it, being able to give back. Um, that's always been a big part of me because I know if there wasn't a by the name of a guy by the name of John Wilkerson who gave me the opportunity to play for free, it would have never happened. So um, that's always, you know, in the back of my mind, giving kids the opportunity to, to basically dream. I mean, I know that there must be something in the on-court aspect that just kept you obsessed because you rocketed to like being one of the best juniors in the country and then one of the best juniors in the world very, very fast. So you were out there all day long. I mean, was it, what what was it that the, the meeting the ball with the strings or the outsmarting the other person or like, what was the on court thing that had you just obsessed from day one? That's funny. Um, from the minute I picked up the racket and started to learn how to play, what I loved about the game was basically that I knew that I was quick and that if I kept the ball going over, you know, and just be the last one to keep that ball on the other side of the net, I would win the point. And as I started to understand the game a little bit better, um, I love the strategy part, trying to out sneak someone, do different things, counter punch. But more, more than anything, um, it was an individual sport. I was by myself. You know, I knew that what I put in, I was going to get a lot out of it. And what I loved about it is the competition part. I just absolutely loved it. So, uh, so strategically, what were you doing that allowed you to have, I mean, so many victories over so many great players in big settings, U.S. Open, Wimbledon. I mean, like you had big wins. What were you doing strategically that's allowing you to get it done so many times? I learned at a very young age that uh, I was a good athlete. And if I put people in an athletic position, I was going to win at least 90 something percent of the time. I learned at a very young age. So once I learned how to use my speed and then I learned how to place the ball. And then when I started coming to the net, that was a whole nother thing for me because, you know, I understood the angles and, um, you know, putting on the pressure. And that's the great thing about tennis. It's, it really does give you the aspect of life. I mean, it's not chess, but it's pretty close. <laughs> Yeah, there is a chess-like aspect to it. If I hit the ball here deep in the corner, that's going to put you know limit what you can do back to me. Yeah. Um. To, you know, but if but but if you miss a little bit, if you leave it a little bit shorter, then the person then has a pre- trouble. Right. Right. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's chess, but there's a whole bit different executional part of it. Um. I mean, my God, like you started at ten. And you won the 18s nationals at 14. So three, four no, years. Uh, yeah, actually I was 17. So um, you were you were 17 I, when you won yeah, the nationals. What I did was I started playing at 10 almost and uh, quit for a couple of months. And by the time I was 11. So in Texas tennis, 
by the time I hit 12 years old, I was like the top junior um, in Texas, which at that time, juniors were very strong. Within a two-year period, I was beating people that had been playing four or five years. And um, then, then on the national scene, by the time I was 14, um, I got a chance to play in the 14 nationals, which there was a girl by the name of Andrea Yeager was getting ready to turn pro. She was pretty and, good. And uh, I lost to her five and four. And I said to my coach, John, like everyone's talking about, she's going pro. And I'm like, I just, I should have won. So, and I said, so do you think I have a chance to go pro? And he's like, well, you got to work hard and blah, 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 blah. And then that's when I started paying attention to to Yvonne Gulagon and Arthur Ashe. But before then, I just kind of knew my community and I knew that I was climbing fast um, in the national world. And then before I know it, I looked up 16, 17, you know, I was the number one junior in the world. What, I mean, that's unbelievable. Number one junior in the world. Jesus Christ. Let me let's talk about strokes for a minute because you you <laughs> had it all. Tell me your thoughts on hitting a great forehand. Yeah, I'm all about um, with the great forehand. It was about, you know, getting all of your weight behind the ball. That's always. And then uh, early racket preparation. I don't care what grip you have, you know, Eastern, Western, Continental, whatever. If you can get your momentum behind the ball and and people that have worked with me that are around me, they also also know that I'm always talking about contact point and having great balance. If you do those, you look at the top players in the world, anybody, it's like, it's all about balance and contact point. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that just today because I was, I was hitting some slice backhands and I was thinking, you know, you really don't want to make contact on the slice as far out in front of you like yeah. for a topspin backhand, it's it's pretty far, relatively out from. But for a slice backhand, it's much closer to you, and a lot. It, it's almost a little behind you, right? It's almost to get yes. Well, I mean, like that that was a huge revelation for me. I'm like, oh my god, the ball moves so much better when you meet it. What would feel like late, but it's not. It's not. So talk. I mean, like your slice backhand was legendary. Talk. Like what 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 were you tell us uh, that would make uh, <laughs> that help us with our slice backhands? Well, I'm actually laughing, first of all, because I almost never really even really tried a slice backhand, but I used to come over my backhand a lot when I was younger. And uh, we had dinner with Arthur Ashe one. Uh, he had came down and he was talking to us and, and Arthur said, you might have to learn a slice backhand. And I was like, what? And so I went out and started working on the slice backhand and then I started slicing everything. I almost lost my topspin. But the one thing was, once again, you hear me say contact point and you're absolutely right. It's learning different shots for different where your contact, contact point needs to be on certain shots. So once I learned how to basically just get it a slightly behind the ball, but leaning forward and then going for the tape, making sure the weight's going forward, then it was you know it was all about me slicing and dicing you up then <laughs> <laughs> i mean it feel when you start the swig with the with the later contact point with the slice it feels like oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be late i'm gonna be behind right because you start yeah. the swing with the topspin stroke earlier to meet the ball out in front of you so it's a whole different timing 
Yeah, it's a whole different time because also you're absolutely correct. Because then if you get under it too much and you carve it up, then it's going to sit up. So the racket head position and the contact position has to be all within the same plane. And, you know, you're almost hitting down on the ball a little bit more to get the slice. And that's the thing that, um, you know, I started really understanding. Like my coach would have us like almost hold the racket and then run into the ball to hit hit a slice so you can understand kind of where you need to hit it. So that myself and Lori McNeil, we became very good at like taking people's second serves and just kind of coming in because that's the way we were taught with our slice. It's just like hit and go, you know, very short backswing, but then you're like taking it long once you finish it. Um, what about your what about your top spin backhand? What what made that so good? Um, I love the top spin backhand um, just because when I was younger, I used that's all I hit for a very long time, and it's like. Um, but as I what I loved was the cross court top spin backhand more than anything. And you know, back in my day when people would come in, I loved the dipper, you know, or top spin lob off of that. So that those were my shots. So you were great at the net in singles and had a lot of success in doubles. What did you do so well at the net that gave you all that success, especially in singles? Because we want to we want to get in and finish the point. But what do, you, what do we have to do to do that really well? You know, the thing about the net is, you know, I tell people all the time, I wasn't a natural person that loved to come to the net. My coaches would always get on and I had to learn it. And what I mean by learn coming to the net, I, I, um, it's an it's about an attitude. You have to be the aggressor. You have to want it to be in someone's face. I'm a naturally laid back kind of person. Um, so the other thing is, so you have to learn to put pressure on people. And then you have to pick the right spots. And then, like you said, you know earlier, you know that pass that approach shot has to be deep. But the other part to it is which is very hard if you, you have to come to the net enough to start reading what someone can hit off of your shot. And mm. then once you do that, then you're able to hit the drop volley. You're able to hit the volley a little bit deeper. You're able to, you know, manipulate the volley. But if you're just running in there and get past a couple of times, and you don't want to come in there. You're not coming in too many times. So you want to have the experience of coming in to see like, what is he or she going to do? What are their tendencies? So then I can start kind of predicting what you're going to or anticipating what you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like life. I mean, you, you have to be willing to take some chances. And like I said, I wasn't a natural. I'm not a natural person that takes chances. I'm not, you know, I don't like, um, uh, what do you call it, extreme sports and stuff like that. And, you know, so, but I, I'm a competitor and I learned that if I put certain things in certain situations or you can put pressure on it, then your outcomes are better. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... 
Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Officer shot and killed a black woman in her own home. Incident after incident, year after year. Say their name. A podcast that focuses on the assault and killing of unarmed black people by police and in stand your ground states. I'm the mother, father, sister, uncle, grandmother. We were best friends. We are humanizing these headlines, figuring out who these victims really were before the hashtags. Say their name. You can listen on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's go through some of the things, some of the glory moments that you had. I mean, you got to talk about you retired Chris Everett. <laughs> you, you, you beat her for her final match, U.S. Open, semifinals, right? Semifinals, right? Big uh, match. It was Crowd- for me to get to the, it was in the quarters. I beat her to get to the semis and I lost to Gabby. Okay. Tabitha. Okay. So you, 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 I mean, you know, I, you know, you, I know the U S open crowd is cheering for her, 
right? Yeah. How did you do it? How did you how did you get through her because she was the ultimate defensive player who's like I'm just going to get everything and hit it back and never miss. Yeah, she was, but also I knew that when I went out there and played Chris that day that, you know, I could get anything that she hit. She wasn't going to overpower me. Uh, you know, I just had to be a little bit more patient. And when I came in, I had to pick my spots. But I also knew that um, that I, it was very important for me to put the pressure on her when I needed to put the pressure on. And so I had to mix up my game. Couldn't, you know... Chris back then was like a back boy. You couldn't just like do one thing. You had to do a lot of different things. And that particular day, you know, I served well, I played well, I was mentally, you know, prepared and uh, I had beaten her before. So I knew I could beat her again. And so it was just kind of a situation where, um, once I beat her on a, on the clay court <laughs> in the middle of the islands, I was like, Hey, I definitely can beat her on a hard court. <laughs> and, um, I just remember like going into to the press room and someone calling me a villain. And I was just like, every, just the, all of the wind, air, everything was just sucked out of me. I'm like, I just beat Chris Everett, who I was the one that was crying because I understood the significance he did for tennis. And now you're calling me a villain. It's like, so it was kind of a weird thing. And, and Torre, when I tell you, I went about a month to different tournaments and people would not clap for me. And oh. I finally figured it out. Um, oh. when I went to one of my godchildren's school and this lady said, you know, I hated the fact that you beat Chris Everett. Like, and I was like, and she's like, yeah. So when you started playing, when you would play other matches and stuff, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even root for you anymore. So, and I remember playing a match and, I was playing Gabriella Sabatini. It was a good match and whatever. And people were just not clapping. <laughs> so it was weird. Oh, God. I mean, that you, I mean, you're supposed to be trying to win. <laughs> it's not wrestling. <laughs> it's like, I'm supposed to be trying my hardest. I mean, like, well, it, I mean, just tactically, you start, I mean, you start to say, I had to do lots of different things well. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Chris Everett is just not missing. I will make six, seven shots a point. Like you said, she's not overpowering you. So nothing is too hard, but everything is deep, right? And everything's coming yeah. back. Well, actually, in that particular match, from what I can remember, and I just recently saw some points, so I kind of can go, is I use deep to short very well. You know, some deep, some short, broader in. You know, the law, like I use different parts of the court. And I remember my coaching say, coach saying that you're going to have to play an all around smart game. Um, and so I back in the day, I had a very good drop shot, but I also uh, had a very good slice that I could hit down the line and it would slice tail off. And then I like to hit the little short angle after that. And I use that a lot in that match as well. Mm, mm. So, OK, keep it around. Moving around. I mean, it's, it's hard when the other person's like, I just refuse to miss. And I'm just yeah. going to keep hitting it back. But it's not so bad when they when they say they refuse to miss, but then they don't have much power on the ball. So you're still able to stay in it. So now Navratilova hit the ball a lot harder than Chrissy, didn't she? 
She hit it a little. Yeah, she had a little bit more power. But the thing with Martina is Martina was always coming to the net on you. She kept constantly kept the pressure on you. Yeah. And Martina was always a little bit stronger than me. Um, a little bit. She was way more aggressive and just did everything a, a little bit better than I did. Just a little. Yeah. I mean, it, it must be hard that any little mistake, just a short ball and she's coming in. Yeah. Just, you know, this just not getting the full angle of it. And she's coming in like, you know, and, and she had a really great slice approach. Right. And a great f- topspin forehand approach. And and hers, you miss a first serve. She's coming in off that second. And just, you know, you, you play tennis so you can imagine somebody doing that to you over and over and over. In a pressure situation, your arm is getting tighter and tighter. That ball's getting shorter and shorter. And you know she's coming, which means that you got to hit a great passing shot or you're in trouble. <laughs> well, does that start making you think, I got to take something off my first serve because I don't want to deal with her second serve, attacking my second serve? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, But sometimes, you know, I'm just being honest, the pressure was just overbearing even just to get the first serve in because you know if you miss the first serve you got to get the second so you know you want to think like that but then you still need to be aggressive enough to kind of keep her off of you <sighs> um you had a great win at wimbledon over steffi graf one of the great players of all time super aggressive but wasn't coming in as much Right, yeah. she seemed to play way back, but she seemed like she was whacking the hell out of the ball. What was it like playing her? <laughs> Extremely fast, and I had that was the first time that I really saw someone that ran around their forehand. I mean, ran around their backhand and hit their forehand, and her inside-out forehand was extremely like tough. It was very tough to read because um, her contact point was just a little behind her, like right on the hip. And so you didn't know where it was going until like the last moment. And so the thing about Steffi, I remember um, playing her, but um, someone that I grew up with, Lori McNeil, who played her and played her well a lot, Lori was like, Zena, you have to hit the forehand cross court to open up her backhand and then you can't be afraid to come in off of her backhand. And so once I kind of learned that, it was, it was, you know, it helped me a lot to play Steffi, but Steffi was just brutal. She was brutal. Because she'd beat you one and two in a minute and you'd be off the court before you know it. <laughs> oh, she had very rapid. She had 30, 40-minute matches that was like, how has she done already? Uh, it, I she mean, it must run in, She would run in that locker room so fast after she beat you and she out of there, gone. <laughs> I mean, it must have been hard when the forehand is coming with all this topspin and she only ever slice the backhand, right? I don't yeah. ever remember coming over. So the backhand is going down and you're digging it out from your shoe tops. And then the forehand is bouncing up, right? Probably up to like your your shoulder or something. Um, yeah. So that variance was difficult too. Well, for her, she would, the only time you write, the only time she would come over the backhand is if, if you came in and and she would try to come over. And in majority of that time, if you hit the passing shot, I mean, the approach shot, deep enough she could only kind of pull it cross court um but her slice was oh, wicked um you know back in the day we would play on indoor courts and you know carpet and stuff like that and that ball would stay so low and then you know the old time grass 
where that ball is just not coming up. And the reason why I said the old time grass, I see these younger players now, and they're like, we're playing on grass. I'm like, no, you get, you're playing on a seed that they put there to help the ball be higher so they it'll look good on TV. But no, that's not real grass. That's I not mean, real you know. grass. <laughs> Was Monica Sellis the hardest hitter out of those big brand name players? Yeah, she was the first um, big um, hard hitter. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of pace, but her angles were like just crazy. Like the angles that she could get off of the shot, you know, because she was really a lefty playing, you know, so it's like two forehands for her. Mm. And she would just make you pay, you know, and and she was probably the first one, in my opinion, that really started putting the deep down the line and then hitting an angle and really making you spread the court out. Mm. Um, Anytime I see somebody who plays with two hands off both sides, I'm like, what happened? How did this happen to you? Who let you (laughs) maintain two hands off both sides? But she... Yeah, it was one of the few who like you know made a career out of it, but it's so weird. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. You know, it was kind of cool when I first kind of like paid attention and saw how she did it. But you know, I remember her dad um, just like drilling her all the time, like over and over and over. And then when I had the opportunity to, to like coach her, you know, assistant coach at for Fed Cup, and just kind of hearing stories how her dad would put cartoon characters and she would hit it off the backboard. And it, it makes a lot of sense. It was just repetition after repetition after repetition. She was like literally a machine. Yeah, she did seem like a machine. So you're saying she was the hardest hitter or was there one, was there somebody else who was I would harder? say in that era, I think she was definitely the... um the hardest she was the she in that era she was that's when the hard hitting started to come into play and who, and who was number two hardest um i would say there was a girl by the name of marion wardell that was kind of like right at the edge like 
she was cracking it way back when, you know, and had like an Amy Frazier and people like that. You know, they didn't quite make it, but they were like right under the, you know, 20s. But they would knock that ball out of your hand. <laughs> I mean, and the key to that is the weight and the is it the racket head speed? Like, what is the key to like really whacking it really hard? Well, like I said, getting your weight and stuff going forward. But now, it, with the help of the rackets, it really is a big difference. Um, you know, having the different materials that now they put in, even with the strings, they get just so much more power. Um, you know, even, you know, like I'm sure that you felt that it's like, just moving up a notch in a newer racket. I mean, you get a couple of extra miles on your balls now. No, I know. But I mean, you know, some guys and some women I hit with just hit it really hard and some don't. And you can't look at them like, oh, the taller ones, the stronger ones. It's like, like, look at these 10 people. Guess which one hits hardest. Like, you know, I don't know. Some people are just, I guess, just what is it? it's, it really is a contact point, and it also is just getting the weight behind the ball. Because when Monica Sellers first came out, everybody kind of looked at it. She was really skinny and just kind of whatever. But her contact point was just, like, crazy. And she would hit and then rotate into the ball. Like, you know, she would just get all of her weight going forward. Right. So so just to get that con- – you talked about contact point and balance. So yes. when you so right because if you're leaning too far ahead, then you're 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 squandering some of it. So you got to be balanced and have the weight. Okay, all right. It's all got to be in the same line. That's got to that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, when you I mean, you when you were on tour, we were all like, wow, like you know, she's the greatest since like the black player since the Arthur Ashe. Althea Gibson days, you know, this is, I mean, now there's a whole community of black women and some men who are out in the tour. Um, but, you know, I mean, Lori McNeil was around, but in a lot of ways you were kind of alone. What was that like being sort of like the only black person around a lot of the time? Well, like you said, I mean, Lori and I grew up together since, you know, 10, 10 and a half years old. So we were very fortunate to kind of have each other. Um, but there was probably six or seven, like Leslie Allen, Renee Blonde, Kim Sands, all of them that played right before me that, you know, I was really lucky that they kind of took me under their wings. And, you know, when I got out there and told me some things to do and not to do, and, you know, even would tell me how to play certain players and Kim Sands, we were laughing about this not too long ago. You know, she would tell me that you can do it, but, you know, I, I, I had problems beating her, but look, you just do it. And every time she'd tell me a strategy, I would like blow the person out of the water. So um, it's, you know, I think right now it's, uh, of course, Venus and Serena just took it to a whole nother level. You know, Chanda Rubin was in the middle, midst of the middle of that. More and more people start seeing the more money you can make. So of course they, they wanted their kid to play tennis and uh, you know, but I still, Tori, I don't know what is going on in the men's side. Why are there not more men, you know, black tennis players? It it just boggles my mind. Like, why do we not have, and there's no one in the tunnels. There's no one in the pipelines. I know. 
I know. I mean, there's. I mean, like, not really. I mean, like, you know, we see Chris Eubanks, right? Like, he's coming up. But, I mean, like, there's more. I mean, even in terms of Coco and uh, Whitney, um, there's black women who are coming up on the night, the night, and still not that many black men. I don't know. But, I mean, there's a dearth of American men in general. Right, there's a ton yeah, of American problems. women at the yeah. top, and black American men are struggling in general. Um, yeah. Did you so talk about some of the racism that you experienced when you were out there traveling the world? Yeah, it was. Um, when, you know, it's very interesting for me because you know, coming from coming from Texas, like I probably experienced more things that than what people even thought that I did. But I was really fortunate because my coach kind of like. Uh, shielded us from a lot of things, but um, it was like, but we were very aware that it was out there. And he also made sure that we understood, we understood that it was out there and, you know, these are the things, but as far as on the tour, you know, I was welcomed by the players, but of course, you know, you'd have certain places still. I remember I played, um, I'm playing for my country. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing in Atlanta and uh, at a Fed Cup match. And I think it was Jennifer Capiati's like whole debut and everything. And I remember my coach came up to me, Marty Reason, and he said, you know, um, Zena, you're not going to be able to practice today. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, you you know, you're not allowed to practice at this, this country club we were going to. And I was what? like, what? Like, yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> and I was like. You got to be kidding. I'm playing for my country, but I can't go. And also, that was the first place I remember I was in Buckhead. And that was the first place that I literally, now remind you not, I lived in Texas. I remember standing on the corner trying to cross the street and somebody called me the N-word. And so all of this happened in the same time. And I'm just like, I'm playing for my country. I'm one of the top players in the world. I can't go to this country club to practice. And so I remember they finally gave me permission to kind of come through the back door <gasps> to go practice. And I remember this, walking through the cafe, the um, the place where you eat, the dining hall, and all of the people in the back came out to say hi. <laughs> it was like, you know, the, the cooks and the, the housekeepers and everything. So it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of a funny story, but, you know, um, just kind of roll with the punches, but, you know, I never had any major, major, major things like on tour now. I mean, you um, wonder why, why are we practicing here? Why are you Marty? willing to practice here if they're like you can't take one of the members of my team on some dumb shit like because she's black why don't you tell them fuck you or go practice somewhere else well you know how i was it wasn't quite like you to speak out now but <laughs> and then you know my coach always taught us too that you also have to break some doors you know so you know he he and I was always a very quiet person, but I did speak my opinion and I did speak, you know, whatever. So I took it as, hey, I'm going to step on in here. I'm going to go ahead and do my practice, but I will be on the court. So you didn't stop me. You know, maybe I didn't come through the front front door at this time. But, you know, um, and when I saw those, you know, cooks and stuff come out and say something to me, that just like gave me more like, come on, Zena, keep going, doing the right thing. So they felt 
very proud, fr- proud that I was actually at the courts. Well, so you talked about, I mean, you knew Arthur Ashe. What was some of the best advice that he gave you? Um, biggest thing with Arthur is, you know, just being myself. And one of the things that he used to always say to me is, Zena, you have to stop showing your emotions on the court. Like he always said, like I showed all my emotions on the court. Um, he used to say myself and Yannick Noel, like <laughs> you can tell we having a good day, a bad day, or, you know, um, so that was the biggest thing. And also Arthur was always, you know, constantly telling me, you know, you have to pay it for, you have to pass it down to others. You know, you just don't hold the wisdom to yourself. It's interesting that he said they were too emotional because, I mean, I know you need that emotion. You don't want to have too many highs and lows because in a tennis match, you could lose half the points. You expect to lose half the points and still win the match. But if you're not like pumping yourself up and sell, if you're too quiet, if I'm too quiet inside, I'm going to, I'm going to drown. I'm going to lose. I need to like get the yeah, energy for, going for me. You know, I would get so mad at myself. I'm such a perfectionist. I would get so down on myself. I could lose four or five points in a row just like that, because I'm still thinking about the point that's already gone. You, you got to give once the, if you think about it, true champions, the minute, that point is over they're on to the next and they don't think about what's behind them they don't think about what's front in front of them and they think about what's there right then yeah you need that athletic amnesia to really like get it going yeah. right and like really really not dwell on the mistakes that you might have made um i want to talk about your um i mean some of the I, I didn't know that you were struggling with bulimia when you were having all the success and we were like <laughs> rooting for you and we were so proud of you and like we had I had no idea that you were going through all this um and that started when your mom passed can you talk about like what happened with that part of your life yeah actually basically uh for me my mom my dad died when I was very young you know I was like almost like one years old or something um and so it was just, you know, me and my mom out of seven kids. I was the youngest by 10. So it was always with my mom. My mom was my confidence. My mom was my everything. And so then started kind of entering the world of tennis and, um, you know, just being this girl, first of all, a, a black girl in an all white sport and then a black girl with a butt. And then, you, you know, got these little bitty skirts. And then they, at that time, they weren't making things to fit. And I remember there was this guy named Ted Tindling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they used to make all the dresses and everything. And he used to say, Zena, we're going to make yours a little shorter in the front and a little bit more in the back, just to give you a little bit more cover up and stuff. And so, you know, now that I think about it, you know, it's kind of the whole asymmetric thing, you know, Ted was doing it way back then. <laughs> but um, it just, it was really rough. So when my mom passed and I was just kind of getting into becoming a professional tennis player and didn't know who I could trust, um, it was it was rough. It was very rough. So I had a, a cousin that was a model out in California and um so she was kind of telling me what she was doing. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it. And pretty much just, you know, never lost a lot of my amount of weight, but it kind of kept me at a certain point. But then it spiraled to having to get a lot of um, therapy, which I found out later. It's like 
it was abandonment. I felt abandonment, losing my dad, everybody in my life that meant so much to me was always kind of leaving. And so that was the one way I felt like I was in control. Um, and Tori, I, I'll tell you, I, I've been very good. And, you know, even though I'm very heavy, much heavier than I want to be, but uh, I am where I am. I was comfortable and I was, I was in love with just me being me and not really the thing. Cause most people think it's about weight. When the pandemic hit, I had no idea, maybe two or three weeks into it. I just was like, Oh my God, like everything just started spinning out of control because once again, I was not able to control my own life. I didn't, I was out of control with everything that else was around me, was isolated, all of those things. So I'm saying this is, I basically had an entire career where I struggled with being bulimic. And like you said, not many people knew it. And then being a black tennis player and being a black woman, when I first came out with it on Sports Illustrated, Roy, Roy Johnson asked me the question and I came out with it people were like shocked. And, uh, and in the black community, most people didn't even know about it. Awesome talking to Zena. That's only half the conversation. If you want more, where we go deeper on her struggle with bulimia, join us over at patreon.com slash show. Thanks so much to Zena for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Monk, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Michelle, Kathy F., Keena Murphy, Theotokis, and Earl Dorsey. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we'll be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.